Welcome to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast, hosted by myself, Sebastian Bates, and Timothy Fair Matthews. A podcast made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We're launching our podcast with a series of raw but real interviews with some of the world's leading business mentors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with incredible stories. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain. So if it's your first time joining us, make sure you go back to episode one and don't miss a thing as you listen to incredible insights from our speakers. This is the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. Hello guys and welcome to today's live interview. I'm here today with Spencer Lodge. Spencer is an internationally recognized serial entrepreneur, an author and business expert. Uh, Spencer's had almost three, three, got almost three decades of experience with building startups across the world into nine-figure organizations and is actually local to Dubai. So I know many of our uh, members in the community know Spencer already. And we're here today to talk about how to generate sales during the pandemic and how to multiply your revenue. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on. Well, I like that fancy intro. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Do you know what? This is, we're turning this into a podcast, and I think every single podcast starts with the interviewee saying that. <laughs> That's what we train to do. It's what we train to do. We've got to say thank you. <laughs> well, you can, you can kick it off with a quick compliment. I'm, I'm fine with that. That's no problem. <laughs> so we, we, were joke, we were joking earlier. I said to Spencer, how was your, how was your weekend? <laughs> so how was your, how was your weekend? You don't care. <laughs> How was yours, Sebastian? Oh, thank God you asked. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, guys. So we'll we'll crack on. Uh, Spencer, could you could you give me a bit of a background into who Spencer Lodge is and how you got here in Dubai doing what you're doing today? Yeah, I'm a working class kid from the UK, 23 years old. No, no, younger. When I was 19, I was in London and I was a trainee salesman. And uh, it was Friday night, as it always is in London. You go for a beer with your mates. And so there was a wine bar in the city that we went to. And there was name of two mates. And there she was, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. She was mega, like mega. I couldn't take my eyes off her. But this was back before we had the things like Tinder and social media. <laughs> so the only way I was going to get anywhere was to go and talk to her. Well, I didn't have the courage to do so because I was expecting to be rejected uh, probably three or four beers later, I had the courage to walk up and introduce myself to her. It probably lasted about two and a half hours before I got there. And when I said hi, and she said, what took you so long? And I was like, oh, you know, you've been staring at me for the last two hours, you Wally. Why didn't you just come and say hello? And um, and so I started chatting to her. She was a receptionist or a secretary or something in a, an architectural firm. And I was learning about her job, her career, her ambitions and whatnot. And she said to me, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a salesman. And she just looked at me and rolled her eyes and said, why did I have to meet a salesman? Said, what were you hoping for? And she's like, I don't know, an investment banker, a doctor, a lawyer, you know, somebody worthy. And I said, let me just remind you something, young lady. I went into my kind of condescending patronizing mode just for a second. Because I was offended, what happened was, I said to her, look, every business in the city of London, in the UK, no matter what it is, is selling something. And that business needs to make revenue so that people like you can be employed. 
So I give a little bit more respect to the salespeople that go out there and get that revenue in for those businesses and understand they've got a really tough job. They have emotional highs and lows, psychological highs and lows on a daily and weekly basis. They're challenged with starting at zero at the beginning of every month, but they've still got to put a roof over their head and feed their kids and put petrol in the car. And whilst these people okay, have to be sometimes a little bit pushy, sometimes a little bit more aggressive than other people, the fact is they are responsible, solely responsible for bringing revenue into a business. You need them. Everybody needs them. And they're the backbone of business. So please show them a bit more respect. And in that moment, it kind of got me thinking that why do people not like salespeople? Why do they not you know, like being around them or why do they think negatively of them? And that's when I kind of got on my mission of trying to get my head around how salespeople can be taught to be really good at what they do and be professionals as opposed to just being cheeky chappies or people with great personalities or all that kind of stuff that gets thrown their way. Then what happened after that is I then, 23 years old, got the chance to go and work in financial services. I did that in 10 different countries over a number of years. And then what that company I was with, we bought a company here in Dubai. And in 2005, I came here and helped build that company, which I left in 2012. And then I started building my own businesses. And now I've got, I think, five or six companies doing different things that um, I've grown here. And Dubai is my home. Amazing. Wow. What a, what a great story. It's, it's, it's amazing how that kind of one moment when you look back made such a big impact in your life and, and pro- probably, you know, drove you to continue doing sales, maybe, to try and, you know, pour more of yourself into it. There were, there were two, two kind of telling moments in my life as a young person. Once was that, and the other one was my first day in sales. I remember my boss said to me, right, you, your job is to go and knock on 100 doors every morning. In my patch was the city in London. I was selling office equipment. And so I had to go and knock on 100 doors. I was allowed to go back and get a sandwich at the petrol station. And then I had to make 100 cold calls. And so I understood what I had to do. And the first day when I got back at lunchtime, my boss said to me, right, you've got 100 calls to make. I want you to go and find me 99 no's and then come and tell come and tell me when you've got 99 no's. <laughs> well, I'm 19. I don't get what's going on here. You know, I'm not smart enough to ask questions why at that stage. I'm just doing, doing as I'm told. And so I made these phone calls and 99 people, the nicest thing they said was no. I thought, oh, some other things weren't so nice. And I got to the end of the 99 no's and I went to see my boss and said, I've got the 99 no's. And he gave me a high five and a hug. He's like, well done, brilliant job. And I was like, why? He said, because you're never going to get a yes until you earn it. And so you've got to get the no's. They're your way of earning your yes. So you've got to make sure that you search for the no's because the more you search for the no's, the more yeses you'll find. And that then taught me how to deal with rejection. And so rejection for me, didn't, didn't it bounced off me because if somebody said no, well, in my mind, it was the steps to the yes. So no, okay, no, thank you. You know, bad language, go away, never call me again, phone hanging up. All of that was what I needed so that I could get a yes. So I lent into it and I accelerated into it and it didn't, didn't phase me. And that's where lots of people in sales, solopreneurs, business entrepreneurs, network marketers, whatever it may be, really struggle because they fear rejection and it really impacts them. And it never seems to have bothered me. Yeah, really interesting. I'd, I'd probably say one of the biggest things that holds people back from doing them, one of the most vital tasks within their business selling is is that fear of rejection, right? Which is almost like a prehistoric or, you know, caveman fear of, of being rejected by the by the tribe or whatever it is. Where where does that where does that kind of come from, that fear of rejection? I think that that 
nobody likes to be rejected in anything. You know, when you're a kid at school, when your teacher gives you praise, that's what you want. We want praise and recognition as human beings, don't we? We, we, we need that. We feed off of that. And when someone criticizes you, we don't like the feeling of that. And whether it's termed criticism or, or, or a nicer term is critique, people don't generally like criticism. They, they don't really like critique, although they'll be more politically correct around it. But I think that, that, that it's such an important part of, of your psychology to understand that, you know, you, you, to get anything right, you're going to have to make mistakes. And a lot of people misunderstand that successful people don't make mistakes. And, and they do all the time. And it's because they're making mistakes that they're learning and evolving. And I think the whole the, the, the feeling of rejection can knock the wind out of your sails. It can literally knock your enthusiasm away from you and it can demotivate you. And I think it's something that people have to learn the psychology behind it but then also practically what you have to do to not allow it to impact you or your business or your future. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Re really, really, really interesting. I, I mean, you came up with a brilliant way of, of kind of bypassing that rejection or, or dealing with that rejection or approaching it, which is collecting no's. Do you have any other sort of tips for, for dealing with rejection or any other tactics that you tend to use? Yeah. I always remember the rejection. And again, this is something that all entrepreneurs have a concern, not all, but most. Okay. Is rejection isn't personal. Uh, this literally isn't personal. Genuinely, it isn't personal. People, no, not everyone's going to like your product and service. It doesn't matter whether you think it's the greatest thing in the whole wide world and you spent years developing it and you're just in love with it. What makes you think that everyone's going to like what you sell? What makes you think everyone's going to be suited to what you sell? What makes you think that you are the best of the best of the best? There's seven and a half billion people out there. There's other people doing what you do in other parts of the world that could be better than you. So don't take it personally. Now, I've always understood in my mind that out of 100 people, there'll be 30 people that love you and will say yes. There'll be 30 people that just don't like you, but they're getting your attention. And there'll be 40 people that just don't care. Well, the ones that just don't care, there's no point spending any time with those. They don't care enough to, to give you their time. The ones that love you, you're not really selling to anyway because they think you're great. It's the ones that don't like you and the ones that tell you they don't like you. And they tell you they don't like your product because why are they telling you? They're trying mm. to get your attention. And if they're trying to get your attention, there's a, there's a relationship there that you can build, foster, uh, and develop into maybe future clients too. And I remember in the past, I, one of my, my biggest accounts as a financial advisor was a big bank in Holland called ABN Amro. And, and I had hundreds of clients in that bank, and it was very profitable for me. They all came off of the back of a hater, a guy that was really unhappy, had an investment he really didn't like, he was complaining a lot. And I just went in and spent as much time with him as I could, you know, every week trying to report back to him information. And this was before we were using the internet as freely as we do today. And after doing that for two months, that utter you know, hatred he had for me, the company and everything else, he said to me, come with me as we left his office. And he walked me down the corridor and he introduced me to this other guy. And this other guy was a senior guy in the bank. He gave me, a, I don't know, one and a half, two million dollars to invest. And it was like, ah, hold on a minute here. You respect the fact that I didn't give up. You respect the fact that I kept communicating. You respect the fact that I wasn't, I wasn't going to walk away like everybody else had. And so I earned that respect. And then on the back of that, that opened the doors to all of those clients in that bank. So yeah, understand that there's, 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 haters, there's rejection, there's lots of negatives out there. But if you think about them strategically, you can use them to a big advantage. Really, really interesting. Yeah, the, I mean, this is it. As, as, we, as you mentioned, we're, we're doing a lot of what we're doing online these days, right? And 
And I mean, with that comes, there's going to be, especially if you've got a very clear message, which is going to a certain type of audience and it's, it's quite specific. It's almost quite polarizing what it is you're talking about. There are always going to be a, a percentage of people, call it the 80-20 principle, whatever, who really are, are not happy with you. They don't like your work, whatever it is. But I love that concept of, of turning, you know, that, that your biggest haters into your raving fans. <laughs> and ultimately, you can, learn, you can learn so much from that, from that experience and from that kind of negative feedback, can't you? Mm, absolutely. And you know, you know, when people don't like stuff, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their life's like. You know what shit's going on in their world at the moment. You know, you don't know what rejection they might have faced. You know, no, yeah. what situation may have happened. It's, it's like when you see people in a restaurant, if the food isn't good and they complain loudly. I find, yeah. that, I find that's really inappropriate. If you're not happy with the food, you can have a quiet word. You can be polite and you can ask them if they can prepare you another meal or change your meal for something, whatever it may be. But the ones that, oh, this is rubbish, this is outrageous, it's just like, oh, gosh. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's very true. Oh, dear. So, okay, so we, we, we've, we've approached, you know, some of the some of the pitfalls of selling, some of the some of the things that are holding us back. What what are the, I know it's quite a broad topic, what are the, what are the, Common mistakes you're seeing now, right now in the in the kind of unique environment that we're in. It's not. I see it all the time in every company and every individual that I work with, and I, I blame them. But I, I mainly I blame I blame the system, and I'll say that with that those things because you're supposed to use those things. I don't know what they mean really. Quote quote. <laughs> system, and it's like. Like we go to work to learn to be an engineer, a school to learn to be an engineer. We, my daughter's learning um, uh, the history of art and graphic design at the moment at the University of Arts in London. I'm very proud of her and she's learning her skill. Okay, no one's teaching her how to sell. And there's no course she can take to learn how to sell at university. Not a single university in the UK teaches selling. Why? For me, that's just nuts because you need to learn how to sell. There's too many people out there that are trying to be salespeople or trying to bring revenue in their business or trying to cut corners, find a shortcut, Facebook ads, click funnels, whatever it may be, to try and generate opportunities. But they haven't mastered the art of selling. Now, I'm really, really bad with finances. And so I outsource that to somebody that does that job. They're better than me at it because they learned it and they understand it. But when you're a solopreneur and you're on your own, you've got to be the person with all the hats on. Don't tell me that being able to manage money, okay, or program software, okay, or create funnels is more important than being able how to sell. Because at the end of the day, your business doesn't need to be profitable at the beginning, but it does need cash flow. Cash flow will be king always. You need to find a way of bringing revenue through the door. And in the virus that we've had recently in the pandemic and whatnot, we, we're not looking at people making profit. We're looking at people surviving. And the only way businesses will survive through this will be revenue, cash flow. And so you've got to sell product and you've got to get people to pay for that product or that service, whatever it is you do, so that money can come through the doors. Because it comes through the doors, you can keep the lights on. If you can keep the lights on, you can keep fighting another day. And then when you get out the other side of this and we're into better times, you can start looking at being profitable again. Yeah, I definitely, I've got to say, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, if you, if you look at the, the very, very difficult circumstance that a lot of people are in, you know, losing their jobs. And that's, that's a very real, it's, a, it's very much a reality for a lot of people losing their jobs, losing their businesses. If, if they were incredible salespeople, it would be relatively easy for them to make a quick partnership with someone who's got an amazing product who can't sell or who's got a distribution and they've got an amazing audience for them to be able to join forces and, and use their skills very, very effectively straight away. Right. I mean, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's the, it's the lifeblood of a business being able to sell, being able to bring that cash flow in. 
think about think about transferable skills that each and every person has can you transfer your skills to another industry if you can sell you can transfer that to pretty much any industry and what's really interesting right now is that a lot of people are oblivious to the fact that there are going to be industries that cease being in existence i don't mean companies i mean industries mm. they're working in those industries that are going to have to leave and go and work somewhere else in another industry and they might have to go through an enormous amount of retraining they might have to you know literally go back to the beginning again and learn a new industry well if you can sell i can move from real estate to finance from finance to auto automotive automotive to online to classifieds or whatever it is that you want if i know how to sell so how is it not singly one of the most critically important skills that exists on the planet look at who's doing well right now okay lawyers are doing okay at the moment aren't they why because there's always need for lawyers across lots of different industries you know there's a law firm in the uk that contacted me recently they've been receiving lots of applications for divorces and that spencer can you help us grow our business because we think there's going to be a huge amount of opportunity uh, taking in and sweeping up this marketplace of people going through divorces great okay if it's not divorces then it's you know from different types of law corporate law mna and all this kind of stuff so the lawyers tend to be okay who else is okay like that? doctors okay because doctors are de- they're not industry specific a doctor literally can help you or me but when you look at so many people in so many hospitality specialist people i mean come on chefs right now what are you going to do if you're a chef there's there's gazillions of chefs right now that have got no work yeah, I, I, I guess I guess the, the the kind of opposing view to that would be that you know you can you can repurpose your skills into into developing an audience online. For instance, if you're a chef, you could do you could you know I, I know I know a chef, I know a chef who owns a restaurant and they are changing what they're doing from just doing normal you know people come into their restaurant they eat they leave to now doing experiences where they, they it's a Thai restaurant they send them the food and then they do a live show of how to how to cook the food and it. You're turning it from a restaurant to an experience, right? Which is quite a cool pivot. But I guess it's the thing that makes you able to pivot like that is selling, is being able to sell, right? And having that resourcefulness. You, you come up with a great idea as a chef like that, and you've got to sell the idea, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no good coming up with a great way to pivot and not being able to, to pitch it properly, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so looking at looking at the, a salesperson, what's, what's, what, are the, what are the most important traits of becoming an amazing or becoming amazing at sales um so everyone thinks it's the kind of cheeky, cheeky chappy you know larger than life type of character some of the best sales people in the world are introverts and so don't think that stereotype i would say great sales people know how to ask great questions great sales people know how to build rapport and so they build relationships with people and they're genuinely interested in what other people have got to say being able to ask great questions means you must be able to listen really well as well to those answers and be able to process them on the fly. Great salespeople know also how to solve people's problems because the, the easiest way to sell anything is to find somebody who's got a problem that your product or service solves. And if you can be a solution provider, then all day long you'll be in a positive place. Now, some salespeople, where they get it wrong is they talk too much. Other salespeople get it wrong because they don't ask for the business. 
And also another problem salespeople have is they don't lay down ground rules. A lot of the time in, when you're selling something, you're kind of like your prospect is up here and you're down here. It's kind of like, please, sir, please, sir, can you buy my product or service? And you really need to understand that if you're selling something to somebody, you're going to sell them something that's going to benefit them. It's going to help them. So you're equally as important as they are. And so position yourself on the same level. And great salespeople understand this. And by understanding that means that you don't go in there with uh, you know, uh, intimidated in any way or with any levels of anxiety or fear. You go in there knowing in your mind, I am going to help this guy out today. I'm going to help this company out today. I'm looking forward to being able to help these people because they need me. And it's that type of mindset that's important. On top of that, you've got to have an incredible sati uh, insatiable appetite for the subject matter. You know, you've got to be you've got to look at selling as something you're proud to do. You've got to look at sales as something that you really are excited about rather than fearful of. And also, I mean, I can go on for ages about this, but on top of that, you've got to have a great work ethic. You've got to understand planning. You've got to understand diary management. OK, lazy people, unmotivated people generally don't make great salespeople. They don't make great anything, really, do they? And then you've got to make sure that you understand that negative talk poisons not only your mind, but other people's minds as well. And so you've got to stay away from negative self-talk because it doesn't serve you in any way. And my dad says to me, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. And I'm like, that's a pessimist. Dad, you're a pessimist. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm just a realist. I see it as it is. I'm like, I'd, like, I'd rather think like me. I'd rather be an eternal optimist than live the life that you live, thinking the way that you do, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> What alternative do you have but being optimistic? Sorry, Dad, if you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've actually got a comment from your dad here, and he's not happy. <laughs> we've actually got Dad on the line. <laughs> oh, dear. It is, it's, it's really interesting stuff. I mean, it's almost like people approach selling like it's this negative thing, right? But, but selling, is, selling is to serve. And one of the... Um, I believe you know JP from from Najahi. One yeah, of the yeah. um, one of the uh, interesting things that when we had JP on, we had a chat about it. It was that you're always selling, right? You're all, every conversation you have, you're you're selling, you're negotiating. Whether it's you know a, a chat with your kids, or if it's buying something from a shop, or whatever it is, you're you're constantly selling. But it's somewhere along the line, it's kind of been misconstrued, and people see it in a very different light. I, I wonder where that's where that's come from. When when did it become almost a negative thing for some people? It comes from a place, just like in every industry, there's good and bad people in all industries. And sometimes salespeople, if they're on commission only or solopreneurs who haven't got any revenue coming in, get desperate. And so they get pushy. And when they get pushy, they make people uncomfortable. And what started to happen over the years is that people have not wanted to be sold to, but they have wanted to buy. And so people still want to buy. They just don't want to be sold to. So you have to rethink the process rather than being a pushy salesperson. You have to say, so they want to buy. How can I be valuable to this person first? How can I be valuable to this company first? And this leans into stuff that you and I speak about is content, bringing valuable content to people on a consistent basis, demonstrate that you're an expert in your marketplace, share that value freely with people because you'll find if you share the value and you position yourself correctly, People will, they won't always buy from the best person. Nine times out of 10, they'll buy from the best known person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting what you said, you know, about not, not coming across desperate because at the end of the day, you're going to, you're going to rush the conversation. You're going to rush important steps like building rapport and you're going to, you're going to, 
you know, this, if you're desperate for, if this is your customer and you're, again, you're trying to level the playing field and you're putting yourself here, you're desperate, you're not going to, you're not going to be on, on par to make a good sale and experience fair trade where both sides are happy, right? You'll sell something and then you don't feel happy about doing it. So you end up not doing a great job. And um, what, what kind of tips do you have not to be in that scarcity mindset when you're going into a sale to make sure you don't come across desperate at all? Even, even if, let's face it, for a lot of people right now, they need that sale. Um, first of all, sell something you believe in. That's an important thing to do. You've got to believe in the products and service. If you don't believe in what you're selling, like truly believe in it, then don't sell it. Really don't, because you'll be lousy at it. No matter what it is, you'll be like, if you don't believe in bathrooms and kitchens, don't sell them, you know. <laughs> don't believe in life insurance, don't sell it, you know. Um, and I think people really need to get this. A lot of people go to work every day doing something, but they look at the products and service and they're like, nah. So first of all, really believe in what you're selling. And when you believe in what you're selling, you'll believe the value that it can bring to people. Whoever that marketplace is, identify it, know the value you can bring to them and understand. And there is enough of whatever you sell out there, nine times out of 10, there's enough people out there. You just haven't found them. You know, right now we'll take life insurance. People need life insurance big time now. And for the first time in a long time, people are saying to themselves, what happens if I die? What happens if someone dies? We need life insurance. So if you don't believe in it, don't sell it. But if you do believe in it, there's a lot of people out there that want to buy it. Now, if you sit there, go online, okay, and Google it, you're not, you're not going to find 50 clients. But yeah. if you build out your, your LinkedIn profile and you start to add value on LinkedIn and you start asking people insurance-related questions on LinkedIn, demonstrate you know your subject matter, people will comment and engage with you. You can then take those people onto a private message and then start talking to them and convert them into maybe an introductory meeting or exploratory meeting or whatever it may be. So, so, so at this stage in the, in the sort of global pa the pandemic that we're going through right now, a lot of businesses are still stuck at home. They can't function fully. What should businesses be doing right now? I'd, I'd like to talk more about industries and that sort of stuff. But for now, what, you know, a typical business right now who is struggling, what, what should be their, their primary objective right now? If you're struggling, your primary objective is to find money, isn't it? That's your primary objective. So um, I, I don't know if you've ever been on LinkedIn and you've accepted a connection request from someone on LinkedIn and then immediately accepting it. You've got some dude selling you SEO <laughs> or an app or something. You know, yeah, you know I'm seeing this a lot on LinkedIn right now. <laughs> and I get that. I get that at least four or five times a day. And I'm like, what yeah. are you doing? But, you know, had, had those people, and they, they don't even know what my industry is. They've connected with me. They don't even know the industry. Maybe it's a bot. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. It's so always that, it's great, great, great to connect. Great to connect. <laughs> great to connect. What a load of nonsense. Yeah. I really love your work. What do you do? <laughs> so so my, my, my opinion on this is what you need to do is if you want to go some clients right now you want to make some money right now in the business that you're in okay think about who would be who's the avatar what does that person look like that could buy your product or your service did you what do they look like what's their demographic what's their psychographic i.e what's their behavior understand them and start and, and detail that person and then if you want to do outreach go on to linkedin and start finding those types of people connect with them if you have something really valuable for them connect with them and then say to them look I really apologize for approaching you on LinkedIn right now. Okay. However, I believe I've got a product or a service that I can, I think can bring massive value to your business. I wouldn't normally approach anybody on LinkedIn, but that I am doing it right now. I would love to grab a virtual coffee with you on zoom just to talk to you about what I've got and how I think it might help you. 
no harm if, 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 if nothing comes of it, no problem. But I really think it could be valuable. When would be a good time to grab that virtual coffee? So if you wanted to approach people right now to find some opportunities, do that. Alternatively, you know, you could run a click funnel lead gen campaign if you need to get right now. You run with those lead pages or click funnels. You can create a landing page. You can run ads. But a lot of people don't know how to run ads properly. So they end up running ads, doing all the wrong thing. You know, the amount of people that are boosting stuff on Facebook and, and, and Instagram. Like, why are you doing that? You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a better way. So again, but again, with psychographics and demographics, you can identify the right people on social media, and you can target them with your with your landing page and or with your or with a video ad that you can create. And again, I think a lot of people think there's a lot to it, but you can create a video ad with your phone. Okay, you literally can make a video with your phone and say blah blah blah. Okay, I think I've got something that can help. Okay, you can do that. Another thing you can do is you can start knocking out that kind of stuff. If everybody goes on their on their WhatsApp right now and sees how many contacts they've got, this is a really interesting exercise. Go onto WhatsApp, look how many contacts you've got, and then send a message to all of them. I think you can do it in blocks of 200 or something at a time. Okay, send a message out to them saying, do you know what I do for a living? And I've got a load of people on WhatsApp who've got no idea what you do for a living. <laughs> So there's that. Go and do that on Facebook as well. Your Facebook connection. Say to them, okay, we're Facebook friends, but do you know what I do for a living and how I help people? And you'll find in the space of 20 minutes or a couple of hours, there's people out there that don't know what you do, that you can talk to them about what you do, and you could probably find some prospects in your phone right now. Very, very interesting tactic. So guys, if you're watching at home, get your phones out and, uh, and give this a shot. Just make sure at the end, right, P.S., Great to connect. <laughs> I love that. If you all go to your contacts on your phone, I'll do it just to show people. I'll do it. If you go to your contacts on your phone and you and you go to Z on your phone, it's a bit um, like one of those shows where they let they let the host send a message on behalf of the interviewee. <laughs> and you, and I, okay, Spencer, you do this, and I get to choose what you write. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent stuff. But I've got, I've got 2,100 people on my contacts. I bet they don't all know what I do. If I needed business right now, okay, interesting times require interesting measures. Mm, mm. Do, do you think people need to be more sensitive about the way they, in which they approach sales? At this yeah, moment? I think a little while ago, yeah. I think a couple of weeks back, I think you needed to, you, you, you've got to take your clients. It's really interesting. The exercise that I did is I said to my clients, what I want you to do is I want you to call every single one of your clients and your prospects, every one of them. And what I want you to do is ask them how they are. Okay, so this was four weeks ago. I don't want you to sell them anything. Don't talk about your product or your service. I want you to just say, look, the virus is a difficult situation for us all. I've just given you a call just to see how things are going, see how you are. It's not about business. Just want to see how you are. And what you're going to get is you're going to get two types of people. You're going to get the people that are in fear, and you're going to have the people that are pragmatic. So just take me and my wife, for example. My wife in fear, me pragmatic. It's me. I just want to get on the stuff. Yeah. My wife is like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. And so you've got those people that are sitting in fear right now. They're probably not going to buy much from you anytime soon. Mm. But once you've identified who the ones are in fear and the ones that are pragmatic, you then have a number. Okay, let's say there's um, uh, 25, uh, sorry, 75 in fear and 25 that are pragmatic out of 100 people. Right, those 25 people are going to be your next clients. 
Those 25 people are the people that are going to be in the right mindset or the right mind space, okay, and looking forward and looking forward to find solutions to continue building their business, to find new clients. Mm. So they're practical types of people. I then double down on those people and work out how you can bring some value to them. What can you do to make something valuable for them? How can you give them an offer, a free access? I mean, look at my business. I do corporate <laughs> training with one of my businesses and my corporate sales training, 80% of my clients went, stop. You can't come to our office and train anymore. We can't do that. It has to stop. And I was like, okay, understood. Yeah. Now I had two choices. I could sit there and say, okay, fine. I can't train in the offices or I could train on Zoom. So I converted to training in Zoom. But I sat looking at it thinking, what companies are going to want to pay the kind of money I charge for corporate sales training when they're sitting there worried about having to pay their staff salaries. Mm. So I pivoted. I decided and my online course is $2,000 per person. Okay. And I said, said to myself, how can I make an irresistible offer? How can I make that so attractive that you'd be stupid not to try? So I took the, the price and I brought it down to $97 a month. That was the first thing. So I've got an e-learning platform called the Make Happen University, brought it down to $97 a month. So I made it, the, the risk literally was $97. There was your risk, but that wasn't risk free. So it wasn't irresistible. So yeah. what then I, did is I looked at it and I said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to give people the opportunity to access that university for seven days free of charge. So you now got seven days free access. You pay nothing. If you like it after seven days, $97, okay, per month. If you don't like it, no worries, cancel. You've not lost anything. So mm. you buy opportunity. So that, that made it risk-free. And then I said to myself, how can I make it so compellingly good that you just wouldn't want to miss it? And so what I then introduced was coaching as well. So not only do they get the online academy, but they also get me to coach them too, all for $97 a month and all for a free trial too. And so then I then went out and so I, I get two choices. I could go run ads, okay, and run ads to generate webinars to get people to that type of offer or go and speak to companies and say, can I give you guys some training? Now, companies don't want to spend, but they definitely want their staff to be trained. They definitely want their staff to be demonstrating that they're investing in themselves a little bit. So guess what? All of the companies with sales teams that I approached were like, yeah, absolutely. Of course you can do it. And so I was inundated over the course of March and April like crazy with webinar. Like, like I was doing 12 hours a day, six webinars a day. I was my, my brain was fried. My eyes were square. All that kind of stuff was going on. But we were converting a large amount of people across to the membership site which then gave us revenue generation going forward. And there's no ties. It's not like a 12-month contract or anything. You stay in as long as you want. So we have to make sure we focus on the value. But by pivoting like that, leaning into the marketplace, we, are, we saw an opportunity where we were losing in one hand then we saw in another. And all businesses need to think like this. They mm. need to know, is our direct route to business, the direct route to market not working right now? How can we pivot what we do? And I hate that word pivot because it can't really cliche like social distancing and stuff, but it is actually the word. How do we pivot in the right direction so we can find revenue sources for our business now? Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I, I, th I think I think one of the biggest problems businesses are facing or business owners are facing, is, and and the reason they are struggling to pivot is because they uh, they they're not listening to their customers, to their clients, what they actually want. And I, and I love the fact that you that you brought up phoning up your members, right? I mean, the, the first thing we did when this all kicked off was we phoned up three thousand of our customers. Um, and and you know I got the whole team around the table and I said, look, this is what we need to do, and we called it a hearts and minds campaign. 
And so for five weeks, we phoned everyone up for a non-rushed 45-minute call in, in some cases where we had people crying on the phone. You know, we really got to know people on a much deeper level, um, both in the UK and in Dubai. And, um, and, you know, we learned a lot about what people were going through, but also what people actually wanted and then how, how we could serve them with a, with a slight modification to our service, right? How we, how we could, because people always need something. It's not like they suddenly don't need something. They're, they're, people are always going to need something. And if you can find out what that is, um, then ultimately you, you're, you're out there serving and you've got a business, right? Yeah, there's some great examples of people doing it right and wrong, you know. That's a really good thing to do. And maybe some of you saw that Diva reduced the bills the, 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 by 10% over that period. Okay, that was a great example of getting everything wrong. They had such a fantastic opportunity for us to love them. And they went, yes, yeah, so what we're going to do is help you all by giving you a 10% discount. It's like, 10%? What a load of nonsense, okay? Daft, okay? But then you take a company like Bayut, who are the property portal, and Bayut were very clever. They said, look, you guys, you're our partners. You real estate brokers, we don't exist without you. We work together. And we, we understand that things are tough right now. So what we want to do is for the next two months, we're going to give you absolutely free of charge. You pay nothing. All right. We don't want you to have the stress of having to pay the bill. And after two months, we're going to do it at fifty percent discount. And that was yeah. a great example of leadership. Okay, yeah. a guy Hayden Carnon is the company. Great example of leadership. That we're in it together. We want to fight in the corner with you. Look, mm. we, if you're going to suffer, we're going to suffer. Let's get rid of these fees for now. Yeah. And so, and and then they also took new clients on as well because of that opportunity. So it did them no harm. It was a great example of leadership, made us think positive about Bayut um, as an organization. But when it came to Diwa, no one called me. No one called, no one called you from Diwa to say how you were. I don't know. I don't think they're from Diwa, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. When, when I kind of look back at the last few months, it's, it's been really interesting. It's been, it's been a difficult time for everyone, but it's been really interesting to see how people have responded. And one of the things I always say is, you know, nothing, nothing gives transparency like a crisis. And, and you can certainly see that with leaders, with business owners, with communities, with, you know, how everyone's reacting to this. Um, when, when you look at, when you look at how, how business has reacted, there was this kind of moment where everything, everyone was doing everything for free, right? It was like, okay, we're in this together. Everything's free. You know, you can grab this. We're on, we're online now. So it's free because it's not as much value as it used to be because it used to be physical. And this is, this is the, the perception, right? And then it got to a point where people were like, oh, you know, this is going to be more than a month or two. We've got to transition to actually charging for this. Otherwise, we're not going to have a business in two months. So there was this, did you notice as well? There was kind of like this weird transition where everyone just started to now try and find their way of charging after going from free, which is actually a really tough thing to do for a lot of people, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. But again, again, that's because companies, some companies didn't think it through as much as they could. Okay. And they then don't communicate things properly. So, yeah. and people will choose to listen to the bits that they want to listen to. So you really need to get proper engagement in your communication, no matter what it is, because people will, you know, here's a lottery ticket. You might win the lottery. What? I can win the lottery. What? For, for one pound, I can win the lottery. You know, had it said, here's a lottery ticket. You can win the lottery, but you've got more chance of being struck by lightning. I don't think anyone would buy a lottery ticket, you know. Amazing, did they? You might yeah, win the lottery. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's one of the things that, that we've been really, really pushing, not, not, just, not just recently, but before this. And I think the businesses who have done this have really thrived in this situation 
is that focus on community, right? And a there are a lot of business owners out there who simply, they run an amazing product, an amazing service, and they've had loyal fans, but the loyal fans have come and then they've gone and they haven't actually built a tribe or a community which keeps everyone in one place. So all your customers can sort of bounce off each other, share ideas and, and kind of, you know, enjoy the fact that they're all, they're all supporting you, right? It's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, in my membership site, it's the same thing. I'm like, guys, I mean, I was on a coaching call today. I'm like, guys, you have no idea how you important you are to each other. Don't sit there silently. Talk yeah. to each other. I created the community for you. Share ideas, brainstorm, help each other. Right now it's tough. Okay. And I bet each of you have got something you could help each other with. doesn't mean you have to spend money. You don't have to buy someone's product, but think about how you can add value and think about all the people that you know that could be beneficial to the other businesses. Talk mm -hmm. less. I go live every Sunday night into, into Facebook, Instagram, and onto LinkedIn, just bringing value out to my community all the time, seeing what's changing, what's evolving, sharing the latest knowledge out there, because I want them to know. And, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't want people to suffer, although they will. I don't want people to suffer because I really do believe that times like this, although we've never seen the pandemic before, and although we're going to have this great depression that everyone's talking about, the fact is we always recover. All right. We all get through the other side. We always make it. And if there's, you know, if you were in Greece a few years ago, you'd have had massive austerity in Athens when, you know, Greece almost went bankrupt and the Eurozone had to bail them out. They went through austerity, but they're still here. They became prosperous again. They fought again. And look at Greece now. I mean, they, they, I think they had about three victims of the coronavirus, you know, one of the least, one of the least in Europe, hardly any. They're the first ones to bring in, in tourists into their country. And so, yeah. Maybe, maybe a bit of karma played its part as well in that journey. But mm. um, I really do believe that it's really, really, really important that, that people understand the value of community and they participate in community as well. Yeah, I mean, I think one of, the, one of the things that I always think about is I've done a lot of courses, I've done a lot of online courses, you know, where I've paid a thousand pounds or 3,000 pounds or 500 quid or whatever it is. And I've always got more value actually from the community than the course, because I've, I've stayed in some of these communities for two or three years afterwards. And the advice, the accountability, the support, bouncing ideas off, asking questions, like, you know, that's, that's, that's such a huge part of the service, which people don't even realize. And, um, and then, then of course it saves your marketing, right? Because referrals are bouncing around everywhere or, you know, you should be, it becomes more of their life, that community. And so, so yeah, it's a, it's certainly a massive part. And I know with, with FTNX Academy, we, we create online courses for, for businesses to help them go from a physical business to, to being online rapidly. And, um, what we always say, and it's often, we often, we find a bit of, um, friction here is we say, you're building an online course. That's amazing. Have you thought about running a community alongside it or an inner circle alongside it? So you can continue supporting people on their journey. Like, oh no, I couldn't, I, I'm not interested in doing that. Or, you know, it's it's not going to work for what I do, or you know, but it's eighty percent of the game. That community is eighty percent. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know, I know, I get it, I get it. You're preaching to the converted, man. <laughs> oh dear. So um, so yeah. Speaking about communities, tell us tell us a little bit about your university. So I created a course. It's um, it's basically the A to Z of sales from the beginning to the end, with everything in the middle. Um, there's four hundred and 40 videos, there's um, 26 courses teaching everything you need to know in video training format, PDF and testing format, and um, everything you need to know about sales. And so I, I created it because I started doing training and realized I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't multiply myself. I couldn't, I couldn't scale hmm. because there were so many hours in the day. So I recorded everything that I knew 
Um, if I look at the success I've had along the way, I think it's important that people understand that I'm not, you know, there's a load of coaches out there and I don't like these people that are teaching people to become millionaires that don't know how to do it themselves because they never were one, okay, or teaching people how to do stuff that they've never been and they're like, oh, well, I've, I've got a certificate to say I can teach it. What a load of nonsense. Okay, if you want to learn how to be a millionaire, go find a millionaire, okay, and learn from that person because they know how to do it. They've seen through the heartache, the pain, the sacrifice. They've had the work ethic, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, you can't buy a black belt in karate. You have to earn it, and it's the same in business. And so for me, um, I created this course because I've been there. You know, I've done the door knocking. I've done the cold calling in the early days. You know, I've been through the pain. I've worked on commission only. In fact, I've never had a salary in my life. Okay, my zero was the end of every, at the beginning of every month, just like everybody else's. But I was able to build out a huge, a hugely successful group of businesses. I don't have any formal education, no, no, no university degree. I wasn't the smart kid in school, but I knew that people needed to learn. And I noticed a few years ago when I put this together that people were leaning more into watching video content than ever before. And so I created the university. And then on top of that, I created a coaching structure so that I could take people through the university to learn, but I could also coach them as well. Brilliant. Sounds absolutely amazing. We've got some, um, some great comments here from Jason. Agree congruency is key. Absolutely brilliant course and content. Um, that. That's his Facebook user. Uh, yeah, I know. It, uh, when we're using StreamYard, guys, make sure you click accept at the top and they, you can see who it is. But I believe it's from Mor um, Morgan John Al Alston. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know. He's a good guy. We've got, um, we've got some other great questions here. One here from Sajid who says, thanks for the advice. I need to get my group to interact right now. Uh, they're just listening. I'm sure that's, a, that's the case for a lot of people on groups right now, isn't it? Yeah, do you, do you remember, I don't know about you, when I first did my Facebook Lives, um, for three months, the only person watching was my mum. <laughs> Why haven't you got a tie on? And there's stuff like that. And so at the beginning, you know, what, 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 our problem is patience. We've got to exercise patience. So Sajid, when you're building that out, what you're going to do is first of all, start asking way more questions in the group. Ask the group to tell you what content they want in that group. On top of that, be consistent. Keep bringing that content to people. And I would argue daily. And then keep pushing out and asking people in the group, go and, and, and for some people in the group, go and message them directly and say, I really could do your participation in the group. It would really help. And so to try and get that going because it's slowly at the beginning it works, but then it starts to gather momentum like a, like a snowball going down a hill. It will gather pace and that's what you need to do. Are there any things that you found, you know, really do help improve um, interaction in the group or any, any sort of particular techniques or tips that you use Controversy. Aha. Okay, cool. I like that. So a really polarizing message. Well, look, we all don't, we don't mind vanilla ice cream, do we? We don't mind it. And if you're a kid and you get vanilla ice cream or no ice cream, you're going to eat it. But if you're at the ice cream parlor, you ain't choosing vanilla. All right. This, <laughs> you ain't having vanilla. You're having mint choc chip or you're having raspberry ripple or you're having fudge chocolate, whatever. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> vanilla's boring. Okay, you'll have it, but it's boring. And it's the same with content as far as I'm concerned. You've, you've got to be controversial. Look, out of 100 people, as I keep saying, there's hate, 30 will love you, 30 will hate you, and 40 don't care. And so lean into the people that like what you do. Lean into the people that like your opinion. Don't be frightened to have an opinion. And don't be frightened to be controversial. The people that don't like it will go anyway. So you don't have to worry about it. They, they weren't really your people anyway. 
You need mm. to find more of those types of people. So be controversial. Speak from the heart. Okay, there's three subjects we don't we don't ever deal with. What are those three subjects? Politics, race, and religion. That's not never allowed to be discussed in any capacity. It goes nowhere positive. Okay. However, okay, you can for sure share your thoughts, share your opinion, as polarizing as they are. If you have a belief around something, a strategy for something, you don't like something. Okay, no problem. Be honest. Be truly you, because the authentic person that you are is the is first of all is unique, and number two is the best person you can be. And don't fear that. And my mum taught me something when I was younger. She said to say the following: "What you think of me is none of my business." And so stop worrying about what other people think, because mm. what other people think is insignificant. You're on a journey to build your business, grow your audience, grow your community, engage with more clients. You're on your journey. There'll always be people that poo-poo it, try and get in the way and try and tell you it's not going to happen, it's not going to work, or they wouldn't do it for whatever reason. Don't listen. Keep going. Keep focused and don't care, all right? Care about you being you. I, I absolutely love that. I'm completely aligned to that. I, I think I think it stems back to the first thing we talked about, which was, you know, having getting over that fear of rejection do you know what i mean and and if you if you're willing to to go out there with bold statements you know fortune favors the bold right or, or, or the brave might have ruined that quote now but <laughs> you get the gist How would you <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> but, um, fortune favors the bold and the brave and uh, and I, th I think ultimately, if you can if you can dig into what you really believe in and then get it out there, there's a high chance that other people are going to be thinking exactly the same thing. And in instead of instead of just you know some people nodding, you're going to get people just absolutely raving about your answer because it's like you, you're finally someone someone's finally saying it, right? I think that's how religions start, isn't it? <laughs> you said not to mention it. Those yeah. are your words, <laughs> not mine. Yeah, there's, 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 I me to the three things, and you know here you are bringing it up. <laughs> Do you imagine if religion started as a Facebook group? <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're not even. We're not. I'm not even going to entertain it, Spencer. We're not even going down that road. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a quick chat. See if we've got any more. Um, quick check up here. Any more questions at all, guys? Yeah, we have got some here. Yeah. Okay, here's one about industries, I believe. Um, how would you pivot if you were an industry that was drastically affected by the pandemic? Okay, cool. So, so I guess what industries do you think are going to be doing particularly well right now and you would kind of see yourself going down? Okay, so interestingly, if we go back to 2008 when we had the last crisis, there were there were industries that came from nowhere. So if you think about industries, you know, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it was um, uh, Uber, Airbnb, Slack, Square, you know, and you name it, there was a whole bunch of businesses that started in a recession that we'd never even conceptualized in our mind. So I think that, that, that tech is an area that, that being involved with, I think is really important because I think that's gonna, the, the pandemic has shown us that we can go to work on Zoom, all right? The world had Zoom before the pandemic, but the world has been taught a lesson. You don't need to leave your home to be effective in a meeting, okay? So understand that there's gonna be technological advances. I think that if you think about voice, for example, um, voice is gonna take over. Listen time on YouTube videos, I think average is 11 seconds. Listen time on podcasts averages 35 minutes. And so I think that, that when you've got to think about voice and how that may have an impact, think about in Timothy or Tim, whatever your name is, mate, I would ask you to do something. Okay. Think about what you care about. Think about what matters to you. All right. There's little point you moving and pivoting into another industry if you're not going to like or enjoy it. 
And I know that needs must, and you might have to take a job for a short while, but that should be a job you take while you plan, okay, what you really want to do. Because 80% of the population are out there, okay, doing something they don't like. And I guarantee you 80% of entrepreneurs are doing something they don't like. And 80% of entrepreneurs aren't entrepreneurs. They have a boss, okay? It's their company, okay? And they're a slave to it. I guarantee you that for sure. So please, 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 okay, think about what you really want to do. You, you will be so great, so brilliant at something you really care about. You, you just will be so much better than anybody else because it matters to you. So lean into that. Think about that. Think about what excites you. What magazines do you read? What websites do you go to? Okay. What kind of stuff do you consume? What do you talk about? Okay, what do you think? What do you think? What interest do you have? Because those types of things out there are going to be the industries that you're going to do best in. Okay, and as long as they exist through the other side of this, which most of them will, there'll just be some that don't, then I would lean into that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great advice. Comment here my homeschooling client is absolutely killing it. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you're just in the right place. And uh, if you, especially if you're known as the go-to person for that, right? Bang, there you go. Amazing. Really, really interesting. <laughs> interesting what you said as well about, about how a lot of people are, they're like, their company is their boss. Their company is, they're kind of a servant to the company. The company is making all the calls and restricting them. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about that and how, how to kind of reverse that and switch that? Well, the, go back to the corner shop years ago. The guy at the corner shop, and he lived in the flat above the corner shop, didn't he? And we used to have a half day closing on a Wednesday, and they weren't open half day on Saturday, maybe, and it closed on a Sunday. So that was your time off that you had during the week. And then the laws got relaxed. And so Wednesday was then open, and then Sunday then became open, and then you're open seven days a week, and you live above it. And guess what? When the door's open, there's money coming through the door. When there's doors closed, there's no money coming through the door. So guess what? You better open the doors and sit behind the counter. Well, it's not an entrepreneur, yeah. is it? And so, yeah. when you look at people in business at the moment, a lot. Of, a, the, the the truth is that most entrepreneurs shouldn't be doing it. They've said to themselves, "I want to run my own business. I want to be in charge of my own destiny. I want the freedom." But then they became a slave because mm-hmm. they don't have the right psychology or the right ambition or the right passion or the right knowledge. A number of different things. But let, let's look at the stats. Most small businesses fail. And that's because we're all so hung up on being an entrepreneur, being our own boss, that we think that being a number two, a three or four in a company is crap. But it's not. You know, there's lots of businesses out there where you being the number two or three in that company might suit you perfectly. So being an entrepreneur, I think, is about self-awareness, like really knowing yourself. Are you the person that wakes up at 4.30 every morning, goes and works out, plans yourself out, structures and commits? Are you the person that's going to fear knocking on doors? Are you the person that's going to fear engaging with people? Are you the person that's going to fear going to the bank and asking them for a loan? Are you the person that can't write, can't even write a business plan? Are you the person that's running your business on shoestrings? What, what are you? Because if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, trust me, it's tough, like really tough. Mm. And, and the best entrepreneurs in the world are the people that are able to identify the best talent in the world and get them to get on their journey. You look at my businesses. I, I own five companies. One of those companies I run myself. Those other companies are all run by females. Those females that work with me in my organizations, they are 
electric. They are incredible. They are awesome human beings. And it's because I've got these great people around me that these businesses have grown. I would have never got them to this standard or this level without having them in the business. And so I, I've been able to find really good people over the years. And so that, that's a real trait because the trouble is we all think we've got great intuition. We all think that we're good at good judges of character. Rubbish. Okay. Most people are lousy judges of character. We all know an experience we've had when we've met someone. We go, "That's a really good bloke." And then six months later, we're like, "What an idiot! What were we thinking?" And that's personal life, professional life. Oh, women and men out there, you meet somebody in a relationship for the first time, and you're like, "Wow, this person's electric. They're amazing." And six months later, you're like, "What was? What on earth was going through my mind when I got with that person?" So we're not judging the character. And thankfully, AI is making that job a little bit easier for us because artificial intelligence now will be able to, in a recruitment industry, will be able to, to, to recruit people without the bias that we have as recruiters. You know, If you meet someone for the first time, you, know, you and I first time chatted today. Before this went live, we were talking to her a couple of minutes before. We both had a little bit of a laugh together. And what we both subconsciously did I'm going to speak for you, so hopefully I'm not wrong. What we both subconsciously did is we found something in each other that we liked, something tiny. And what you do subconsciously when you find something you like about someone is you subconsciously look for further things you like about them. Just the same as if you meet somebody you don't like, just a little bit. You don't like their shoes. They've got a sweaty handshake. They've got bad breath, whatever it might be. They're scruffy. You meet them. Okay, and if you if you dislike something about them, then you literally subconsciously will look for other things to dislike. But that's bias, and so you're never going to be a good judge of character because you have natural bias. So, if you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur, you need to understand that you've got to have an insane work ethic, an insane appetite for what you do. Okay, and you've not got to be offended by anybody, rejected by anybody. You've got to understand it's going to be tough. You're going to have sleepless nights, and you probably won't make any money for three years. So, anyone want to sign up, or has Spencer put you put you off? If you were if you were thinking, God, you know what, I want to be an entrepreneur. Hopefully, we've given you a realistic um, <laughs> a picture. I thought you said you're an optimist, Spencer, but <laughs> I think you're a realist. I'm being optimistic with that. <laughs> when you look at people, you know, that's an important message, right? It's 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 the the, the entrepreneur is glorified. It's like. It's put up on this pedestal and everyone wants to become it. And they, then they can spend 20 years doing something which it's not really for them when they could have had a really happy life in the, in the field of something they're passionate in, you know, with, with, with security without putting themselves through it all. Right. And, 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 I, and I can totally relate. I know a lot of people who, who are running small businesses um, who, who, who feel like they're just in a very, un, very low paid job. Right. Because ultimately, they're they're putting in eighty hours a week, and they're getting the same the same pay as someone who's employed putting in forty hours. Um, so yeah, not getting really either. Sorry, they're probably not getting four weeks holiday either. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it, well, if they if they do, then something bad happens while they're away, and they're checking their email, and you know, <laughs> yeah. that's the, that's the reality. And just 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 before we end, just to put a put a spin on this, what's the most inspirational? story you've you've heard um within business over the last three months inspirational story i've heard in business and be an optimist with this one don't don't go down the, the realist route <laughs> i think inspirational i've been i've been i've been i've been following how how people have lent into this 
pandemic to try and make a difference, bring value. I mean, there's, there's, there's guys out there I know that are killing it selling PPE right now. And so you know, really, really smashing it, like in, in numbers that, that they've never seen, let alone anything else. But I, I don't think I've got a story that's inspired me in business. I think that it's nice to see it's nice to see how human beings can be. Now, I've lived on the palm for 10, 11 years, and I don't really know my neighbours. And with the lockdown, I've been able to get to know my neighbours, and I've started to realise that there's some really nice people out there, and you know, like really nice people out there, people that I wouldn't even say hello to. I'd cross the other side of the street and just carry on with my head down with my earphones in usually. And so for me, the... The pluses of the pandemic have been getting to know people I haven't, I haven't got to know before. Um, also, that I've learned that people are willing to listen more. Everything's slowed down a bit. And so people were then paying more attention. Um, I thought that, that was really good. Um, and, but I, I, do, I do look at people that are great leaders. And you know, I told the story about Haider Khan and, and Bayou. That was, that was just, I'd have watched that and I was like, that's epic leadership. Okay, he launched something at the beginning and then he came back a few weeks later and he said, you know what, this is tougher than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to do even more. And it was really great leadership as far as I could see. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, if I was ever working for somebody, that's the kind of guy I'd want to work for. Yeah, brilliant. I love that story. I think that's great. Is there a part of you that kind of feels, despite that we, or maybe because of the fact that we can't, connect in a, in a, in a physical setting. And we were, I mean, especially in Dubai, we were really, it was really strict lockdown compared to a lot of countries, actually. Do you feel that human beings found a way to connect and almost on a deeper level in some ways? I think that uh, obviously we, the amount of hours I've spent with my family, my parents and my kids on Zoom, um, like hours and hours and hours, laughing away, playing city games. What was that, that house party, doing stuff like that? <laughs> Okay. It's been fantastic. It's stuff that I wouldn't do normally unless, you know, I, I was with them, spending time with them. And I think as, I think as human beings, we've, I think we've grown a little bit of, a little bit more appreciation for each other. You know, and I think that, that we're all so busy with our lives all the time that we forget to lift our head up and look. And I think that's given us a chance to do so. And I do, and I, I've, I've really, sad as it may seem, I've really enjoyed some parts of this, you know, I was never somebody in my mind that was fearful of this. I was like, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. In my mind, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Um, I know that we can say many people will think otherwise, but in my mind, it wasn't. But I'm, I'm, I'm grateful about the chance to be communicating with so many more people. And that's, that's carried on as people are coming out of the lockdown, that, that engagement is still there. And I really like that. And so there, there are there are definitely some positives coming out of this for sure. There's de- and I'm terribly sorry for hotels and airlines and the horrible situation that they're in. But we we have to remember about money is that money didn't disappear. Hmm. All right, when, when this all came about, money didn't just disappear. Money goes from one person's hand to another person's hand. Okay, that's all that happens. And so it's either going to make somebody richer or somebody poorer in some way. And you could argue right now with America printed the trillions of dollars that they printed in US dollars, but there's more money now than there was before. There's not, there's not less money. And so I think that the understanding, that really understanding that and understand, well, if you haven't got it, you've got to go and find a way of getting it. It still exists. It's still out there. And the airlines that are losing right now, well, the money's going somewhere else and it's actually staying in our pockets because we're not buying flights. 
okay? That we're not buying cars, so we're not spending money on cars at the moment, where we might have been upgrading our car and getting more payments on that than usual. Some of us that had a rental car, have given that rental car back and don't have to pay the rental payments anymore. Some of us that couldn't afford to pay the rent haven't paid the rent. Some of us have renegotiated with our landlords. Some businesses have been able to renegotiate with their suppliers to keep some money within their business. Some people have said, look, let's reduce the salaries for everyone so we can keep going. They've kept money in their bank accounts. And so money doesn't disappear. It's just how it's distributed. And you've got to get an understanding of that and how you can get your piece of that pie. Brilliant. I, I think it's such a great, such a great message to, to finish on, you know, connectivity and kind of long-term poised approach to, to what's going on around us. And Spencer, that's been absolutely amazing, mate. Really, really great chat. Really enjoyed it. And I know that a lot of our viewers um, will, especially in the, the podcast, um, which is coming out in two days, guys, just a heads up for that one. Um, Spencer, what's the best way for everyone here to, to get in touch with you if they would like to, to learn a little bit more about you or maybe to work with you? Okay, so I have a podcast myself called the Spencer Lodge Podcast. I've got, um, have I? I've had Tony Robbins on, Grant Cardone, Elena Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, Nick Vojtic is the guy with no arms and no legs, Les Brown, Lisa Nickel. I've got Oprah Winfrey coming on the show in October. So if you want to go check out my podcast, I've been very, very blessed. It's only been running for 18 months, but I was like a dog with a bone with that to get that, that out there. It's a great way of doing business. It's a great way of getting awareness. So if you want to do that, otherwise go find me. I, I'm really enjoying LinkedIn at the moment. So go find me at Spencer Lodge on LinkedIn. If you're an Instagrammer, then by all means, you can go to Spencer.Lodge or on Facebook, you can go to Spencer Lodge Official. But I'd go to LinkedIn and find me there. And then come and get involved in my community on LinkedIn. Some content is going there every day. There's loads of engagement. There's loads of people that are engaging with me that you potentially could engage with as well yourself, guys. And so if you can, then there's value for you too. Amazing. Guys, if you want to get in touch with Spencer, best way is LinkedIn. Just make sure when you message him, you say, um, great to connect. And uh, then he'll definitely... How was your weekend? Spencer, thank you so much, mate. Cheers for coming on. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to be the first to get access to our live interviews, then head over to f10x.com to apply to be a part of our online community.